Larry, I was thinking a lot this week about competitiveness because we get so many questions about that. We do. And how to effectively channel the competitive spirit at work. Mm -hmm. And I realized I learned a major lesson about this fairly early in my career. It happened my very first week at Nike, which I've admitted was a very long time ago. (laughs) It was was the 80s people, so it's not the company you think of now. Anyway, I was the new head of PR. And that very first week, 2020 was doing a story about Nike versus Reebok. It was sort of the classic sneaker wars story. That was the big competition. Yeah. And they did it all the time. Anyway, they had done it before I arrived, but it was airing my first Friday night. So I turn on 2020 to watch this thing, and there's the usual setup, and then they go to an interview with the Reebok CEO, Paul Fireman. And famously, these two CEOs have never met, Paul Fireman and Phil Knight. Oh, interesting. So they ask Fireman, you know, you've never met Phil Knight. Would you like to meet him? And Fireman says, oh, I'd love to meet him. We'd have a lot to talk about. I think it would be great. And then they go to Phil Knight with the same question. <laughs> And my new boss, the the CEO, says, I hate that guy. A few years ago, he forced me to lay off employees, and now my goal in life is to make him do the same. Oh. So I literally was choking on my takeout Chinese food at this point, (laughs) thinking, you can't say that on TV. It's my job to manage this. What am I going to do? I go into work on Monday, and I'm expecting... You know, some hand-wringing, some drama. It's my first ever Monday marketing staff meeting. Sure. And so it's all of my colleagues in that department. And I walk in, and instead of the, oh, my God, what are we going to do that I expected, it was elation. It was celebration. Interesting. Most of all, it was pride. Like, <laughs> mm. in your face, uh-huh. firemen from everyone in the whole company. And I thought, what is happening here? And it was kind of an epiphany for me. Because I realized later that part of the reason I was always so impressed with the way teams at Nike worked with each other, mm-hmm. even the way other companies, sales and marketing are competing and finance. Yeah, lots and of that, that internal yeah. competition. I mean, there was some of that, but way less than other places I had ever seen. And I realized in that moment, it's because they shared something that we all really need. Mm. We need an external enemy, Larry. We need We need a foe. Really, nothing focuses the mind more than knowing, really, this is who you have to be. So, Liz, do you have a mortal enemy <laughs> right now? <laughs> right now? Mm, I think my mortal enemy right now is my crappy cable operator. That is a fight to the death, Larry. <laughs> From Wondery, this is I Hate My Boss, workplace drama, comedic relief. I'm Liz Dolan. And I'm Larry Seal. On today's show, we'll be answering all of your questions about competition and favoritism in the workplace. So, Larry, today we're dealing with jealous coworkers, insecure managers, and corporate burnout. Nice. Some good juicy topics <laughs> oh, there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, let's get to our first question. And that comes to us from Johnny, whose boss may have inadvertently set some of the departments working against each other. So, Johnny writes... My company's going through some changes. We're creating three new executive teams to provide support to our franchisees, and we have multiple departments working to onboard those new teams. There's a lot of cross-training going on between these departments to make sure all teams have the information they need, but now it's turning into a competition. Our COO has emphasized multiple times that this is not a competition. He doesn't want any teams acting that way as he feels it'll hurt our company and our franchisees. 
But I already have other account executives from other teams coming to me, I'm an account manager, asking for information and access to things that aren't ready yet because they want to get off the ground first. Even my team executive is doing the same thing. But my concern is that eventually misinformation will get out, processes will get messed up. After all, most of the executives only care about themselves and how they look. So, should I go with the flow and worry about my own team, or should I reach out to my COO to make sure this doesn't get any worse? Well, they need a mortal enemy, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I think that most of the time inside a company, it's all about how rewards are aligned around this. Often there's some kind of monetary reward system that drives people's behavior. It can be really subtle such as which departments get allocated what budget in this new reorganization. Sure. Or it can be really direct, bonuses and promotions attached to very specific deliverables. So it seems to me that if they don't want the result that they're getting, that they haven't had good communication about the behavior that they really want, mm -hmm. and they don't have the rewards lined up for that. So somebody needs to be more explicit. And, you know, cross-training always sounds good. We love that word. Yeah, Everybody is just you know, going to teach the world to sing. Cooperate right? and share. Sure. Yeah. So the uh, cross-training is really hard unless you're very clear about how that's going to work. So the fundamental question here is, should he go to the COO? And I would say, yeah, go to the COO if you are going with a constructive solution, right? Right. If you say, this is starting to happen, we need to refocus people's energy, here's what I would suggest, or here's what it would take to do that, that's what I would do. And maybe you don't have a mortal enemy you can focus on in this case, but you can at least try to reset what the behavior is that you want and be very explicit about what the rewards are attached to that. Yeah. What do you think? Look, I think for many people, especially in the business world, competition is one of those underlying parts of the atmosphere, right? It's the sure. air you breathe. And it's good. I was going to say, it's a healthy thing. lots of good that can come out of that. Here's the danger, though. Some environments attract a lot of highly competitive people who love the win and lose and the struggle. And there are other environments. I think about some of my clients that are in kind of technical and artistic places where they don't like that at all. Mm -hmm. They value other things. And I guess I would say you got to know where you are. You got to know who your constituents are. Something that the executives did here created this race. Right. And people see, as you said, there's a group that's going to win and maybe they're getting allocated resources. Maybe they get better mm -hmm. say or better opportunities and somebody's not. And so they've started running. And so the executives really need to look at that and go, we did something. We may yeah. not have done it on purpose. Right. But we set up something that said winners and losers here. Yeah. It could be as simple as they have a culture that does not reward collaboration, but now they're trying to cross-train everyone. Well, you can't just have everyone change their stripes. Like, yep. who works there? <laughs> and you have to kind of design a system based on the people you have there. Absolutely. And so I think you've got to have focus, right? In the case of Nike, you were talking about the power that having an external foe. Mm -hmm. In this case, I would suggest that you've got to focus internally on what the challenge is. The opportunity is here to serve the franchisees, right? So that's the entire point. 
So if I'm the executives, I'm probably getting everybody focused on what we're trying to do here is come up with the best ways to help our franchisees and therefore all of us. And then I think what they need to do is they need to be very careful to look across the teams and find all the great ideas and little improvements that help do that and recognize them in team A and team B and team C so it doesn't look like there's going to be one big winner. Mm-hmm. One team may do it better than the others overall. That's okay. But really be looking to share those wins focused on a single thing. And I also think executive psyches, I mean, the kind of people who tend to get into big leadership positions tend to inherently have a fairly competitive nature. I know. It's not true of everybody else. <laughs> it's true of me. I know. Oh, I know. It's all right. <laughs> okay. So I think we're good on that. Moving Hope on. that helps, Johnny. All right. Now we've got a question from Tori, whose jealous coworker is ruining a great new job opportunity. She writes, I recently negotiated a new employment contract with a small company in a new state, and I brought several lucrative clients with me. Good for you. Uh, Due to my experience in client relationships, I also negotiated a nice contract. Then the current employees with longer tenure at the company, but significantly less breadth and overall years of experience than I have, found out about my salary. Another woman in a parallel position was very angry about the difference between our salaries. So I told her, go negotiate with the CEO and gave her the advice that as a woman, go negotiate like a man. But I had no idea what she makes or even how the meeting went. Then about a month later, she confronts me. She claimed that I was trying to get the CEO to pay her less so there would be more money for me. And that when I was smiling at a recruitment dinner, her husband remarked, that I could smile and still stab people in the back. Wow. Yikes. So this floored me, and I can't even believe that this happened. I'm so sad. I like this woman. I thought I relocated to a great job with great coworkers. I have to work closely with her, and there are only three of us currently in parallel positions in the company. I feel like she's trying to turn the other one against me, too. How can I go on at my position and make peace with this paranoid, suspicious coworker, especially after moving my whole family and pouring so much energy into the company? Well, first, Tori, congratulations on negotiating yourself yeah, a great yeah. new job, bringing your clients. You're obviously pretty effective at what you do. So mm-hmm. that's number one. Number two is chill out. I know this seems like super stressful. It's only been a month. Mm -hmm. And so there's a little bit that you're just going to have to live through because guess what? Number three is this happens all the time when people come in and the rest of the team finds out the new person is making more money than they are. There's always going to be some kind of blowback to that. I've never been in a company, and Larry, probably the same with you, where a new person who comes in, they're naturally making more, where there isn't some negative reaction from the team about that. I I have never liked it, unless (laughs) I was the person coming in. Yeah, but you got the really great deal. Yep. And they're mad about it. Right now, they're mad at you, but it's really not about you. And you need to keep reminding yourself of that. That's right. You just need to keep your head down and do your job. And hopefully, this is just a short-term thing while people are adjusting to the new terms of service here. But I would say, like, that is super weird that she's repeating comments made by her husband. Super passive aggressive. I, I don't know. That sounds... My husband saw you smile. I know. How can you do that? That seems super petty. So another reason to try to rise above it a little bit. For sure. Your coworker is blaming you, Tori, because they're not feeling fairly compensated. Mm -hmm. Now, look, your CEO could 
be another one of those lame ass bosses that we talk about and could have frankly unintentionally thrown you a bit under the boss where she comes in and says, hey, I want to get a raise and this is the work I've done. And he could have said something dumb like, you know, we're out of money now or something. Yeah. Not intentionally, but then putting the tension between the two of those versus just stepping up and owning the decision of what he what he needs to pay her. That could have happened. You're right. I hadn't thought about that. That totally could have happened. I can imagine. Oh. I'm just imagining myself as a boss having said that in the past, like, oh, we're out of money. She got and, it all. And what that produces. Now, look, I, I think two things. One, you should have some empathy for her. Put yourself in her shoes. Yeah. If you were in her shoes, you may not act like such a child, but you'd be feeling similarly put upon. I've been here. I've given blood, sweat, and tears, regardless of what your credentials are. Totally. And that is a right? t- completely common reaction. And look, what I love is she's really feeling so bummed out because she's excited about the job. She brought clients here. She's getting a nice package. As she said, she relocated her family. So she so wants this to work. Mm-hmm. So I get where it's upsetting. Now, I'm going to give a piece of advice here that's going to sound a little bit weird, Liz, because normally you and I talk about this, like be very careful about what you elevate to your boss, mm-hmm. right? But I, I think in this case, because she's so new and trying to integrate into the organization, I actually think she could go in and not whine about, we've got a problem and people are being mean to me, but actually ask for a little bit of coaching about, here's the reaction I'm getting And I'm wondering if you can give me some suggestions about how I best handle this. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not complaining, but actually just get some coaching as a new person and obviously a valued new person. That could go really well. I would never, ever do that. How did I know know you would not do that? (laughs) All right, tell me. I want to hear. I shouldn't. I mean, I would be tempted to do that if I were Tori, but I know I've said this on the show before as the boss. Yeah. The last thing you want and people to come to you with feuding coworker issues. I mean, there's yeah. just really nothing to be done. So if she puts herself in that position, mm-hmm. then effectively she's putting pressure on him to manage the other person differently. I don't think she should get in between the relationship between her boss mm-hmm. and her coworker. So I completely agree with what you just said. I think what I'm suggesting is kind of to the side, which is I don't want you in. I, Larry, am looking for advice from you, my boss, about how I best handle integrating into this company. That's what I care about. I wouldn't ask them. In fact, I'd be explicit. I'm not bringing you into this for you to do something, but, you but are. I would like some coaching. But you are. I well, just think I, you are. I absolutely am from a, I'm making you aware of something you may not want to be aware of, but. Exactly. So thanks for nothing. That's what, ah. as, the, as the boss, I'm thinking, like, what, what are you really asking me to do here? Uh, the sort of coach me to how to get yeah. along with people is just a thinly veiled way of saying this person is a real problem to me. And you know, it's interesting because if I'm the manager, I wouldn't view it that way at all. Maybe that's my coaching nature, right? But I I'm, just think you're a nicer person than me. I'd say, it, oh, great. There's now I need this. Well, I'm looking outside of the booth and they're all <laughs> nodding right now. So perhaps I am indeed a nicer person. But I actually think lots of people like to be helpful. You're right. What they do not want is, hey, I've got a problem, and then splat, here it is on your desk. Yeah. So there's a balance there. Tori, I think actually you have to ride this one out. I think that there's nothing unusual happening here at all, except that she's a little on the childish side with, no. all, the, with all the husband stuff. But um, th- she's just going to have to adjust, and maybe she'll realize she's underpaid, and she'll go get another job <laughs> at another company. There you company. go. That, you wouldn't be a, that wouldn't be a bad thing. We'd probably tell her that anyway if she, uh, she was writing in. Everybody wins. Don't forget that we're working on an episode about 
bullies at work. So please send us any questions you have about how to deal with your toxic coworkers. We know we may say this a lot, but it is great when we get your questions at our voicemail. That number is 424-224-5711. We love listening to your voices, hearing your stories. Plus, you'll get to hear yourself on our show, and that's got to count for something. <laughs> but if leaving a voicemail isn't your thing, afraid of being discovered, you can send us an email at I hate my boss at wondery.com. Just maybe don't send it with your work email. <laughs> Although we won't use it against you, we promise. Now we have a question from Marcella, who's tired of watching her coworker get preferential treatment from their boss. Uh-oh. So they write, I have a work peer I'll call Stacy. We both report to the CFO and have separate but sometimes overlapping tasks. Stacy's team works 40 hours, no more and often less, while my team regularly works overtime. That's because my team often picks up the slack for Stacy's team because they do not have the computer skills needed to work on their own. Hmm. We all work in an open office, and my team frequently sees them leaving early. Also, they often, quote, work from home, which we are not allowed to do. Right before the holiday break, I had my employees scheduled for time off, so my team was working on a skeleton crew. Then all of a sudden, the other team needed help. I was short-staffed, but they wanted my team's help so they could leave early for the day. I initially said no, but they complained to the CFO, and I was overruled. In the time they took to complain about my team not helping, they probably just could have done the work themselves. I am very resentful about Stacy and her team. (laughs) Yes, I think that's clear, Marcella. Uh, it's, It's coming through, Marcella. I've discussed this with my boss, but I keep getting told, quote, it will be handled. I lost trust in my boss, and I don't think she will ever change Stacy or her team. I don't want to be the squeaky wheel, but I'm tired of being treated as if Stacy's more important than I am. Yeah, that's the problem in these situations. Yeah. So, Larry, what advice do you have for Marcella? So, on the surface, for sure, it sounds unfair. I guess really the question is, when you went to go talk to the CFO, was there any other conversation other than it'll be handled? Mm -hmm. I can't imagine coming in to have that conversation and being willing to let it just sit there. Great. Like, can you tell me what I can expect or how can I help or how am I going to know this is moving? I would expect a little bit more back and forth. Now, maybe she didn't feel comfortable saying that. I or maybe she just got a lame ass CFO. Uh, you know, no, it's it just that's what it sounds like to me. It could be focused on other things and like your problems. <laughs> oh, you're right, focused on other things, not yeah. not just lame ass. Not, not just lame ass. <laughs> Look, it is not her job to manage Stacy for sure. It's the CFO's yes. job, um, and so it could be we got a lame ass boss, or actually, she didn't do a good enough job of showing the CFO why they should pay attention to this. It's pretty obvious because they're not paying attention to it. So it may be really obvious in her mind. It's unfair. It's unreasonable. My team is being hyper-accommodating and they're slacking. But it's on her. I mean, influence is about communicating what you feel to someone else. They don't care about the unfairness, probably. But they do care about the business impact. I guarantee you they did not hear much of a business impact here. Otherwise, they'd be doing something about it. Unless you have a really bizarre manager. Yeah. Well, you, you could you, you could we could just have a failing boss here. You know, this could bad be bossery. bad bossery. There we are, bad bossery. Marcella went to the CFO, made the case, and the CFO is just not skilled enough as a leader, manager, business person to make the changes required. They so could be afraid of confrontation. Yeah. Yep. So that's number one. I think the boss here may really be failing. It's not Marcella who is nope. failing. 
Number two, one thing that really jumps out to me is that she notes that the other team does not have the skills they need. Okay, so why is that happening? That's either happening because, hey, you have a lame-ass boss, (laughs) which I think we have already established. That could be the case that you should be making to your CFO. And instead, you're going in with more of the emotional case of unfairness. Mm -hmm. Seems to me the way to even this out is to try to get the other team the training they need so they can lift their skills and carry more of the weight. Well, and coming in with that approach is pretty wise because you're trying to lift all boats and be helpful as opposed to complaining. I like that. Right. And then if that doesn't happen, then we get to option three, which is you have a lame-ass boss. (laughs) (laughs) Then I think you have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a CFO that's really not going to do anything about this, and you have to decide what it means to you. So she's got a CFO that's an LAB. (laughs) I like it. I like it. (sighs) Me too. Now we have a question from Dennis, whose insecure boss views everything like a competition. Hmm. Dennis writes, my boss, who isn't a great manager, has told others she feels threatened by me, and she thinks I'm coming after her job. Oh, boy. So she tries to one-up me constantly demands to look at everything I work on. She even wants to check emails I send to people internally. It makes everything I do into something we did as a team, even when it was something I only worked on. I've never done anything to give the impression that I'm gunning for her job, except to be a hard worker, be a successful employee, and be well-liked around the office. I constantly try to make her feel more comfortable around me, so she'll think I'm not coming for her job. But she's been at the organization for decades longer than me, and our organization does not promote people easily. I'm still two titles behind her. How do I work with a boss who competes with me because she feels threatened by me? It seems odd to me that somebody is going to feel like they're in competition with somebody two levels below them. That I doesn't, know, that is weird. That, that doesn't, that actually doesn't ring true to me. So what that makes me think... Unless Dennis is some kind of golden boy that just came in from the outside... You know, it that happens too. It does. And it doesn't necessarily have to be so, when it happens at your own level. You see like the the new star and you get a little over-focused on that. Mm-hmm. Not that it's ever happened to me, Larry, but you know. <laughs> Look, the recommendation of the direct conversation is this. Chat with her about what you see, not the judgments about where it's coming from, right, but what you're experiencing. I'd like to understand what concerns you have with my work. Specifically, you want to read all my emails before I send them. I got to tell you, it doesn't feel like a lot of trust from you to me. Frankly, it's fairly demoralizing. And I want to understand what you're concerned about, because Mm -hmm. if there's something I need to feedback, I need to hear about something I need to do differently. I'm certainly willing to hear that and make you more comfortable. But going on this way, it's really tough. Yeah, I can totally understand that. You know, I'd also say just be aware that maybe this is the way this person operates with a lot of people. Could be. Sometimes we just get it in our head that it's all about us, that we're being picked on. So I don't know how you get along with your colleagues, but making common cause with others at your level or just understanding more about the overall operations of the company and what her pattern is, Mm -hmm. that might be able to help you get through this. Liz, let me ask you a question about that because I love the idea of tapping into your peers, making common cause. You've mentioned that before. How do you have that conversation in a way that doesn't look like you're stirring up trouble? 
Yeah, no, that's really key. I'm not saying, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily go to every everyone in your department and say, what does she do to you? Have you, you noticed you? what yeah. a micromanager yeah. she is? But I think you just need to be aware. First of all, by making common cause with them, it's just making sure you're building really positive relationships with other people too. Mm-hmm. There's more than one person at this company. Yep. And things get shuffled around all the time in every company. You never know who's going to end up to be in charge. So I think that's number one. Uh, but number two, you may feel like she's constantly trying to up you or is uh, claiming credit for your work. Maybe that is not their perception, right. in which case you don't need to sweat that so much. Right. Or maybe they all feel that way. Maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe everyone feels that way about her and it might make you feel a little bit better. <laughs> like, okay, the bad news is she does it to everyone. The good news is it's not about you. <laughs> yeah, the good news is she does it to everyone. <laughs> yeah, the good news. Right. It is unusual, though, that someone, if you are two levels down from her in an organization, like maybe there's something here you don't understand. Yeah. Sometimes your boss, or in this case your boss's boss, is under a pressure that you don't know, that they've been told they need to, you know, cut people or there's some reorg coming or they see things that you don't necessarily see, which doesn't make it right for her to manage you like no, you're a child, right? right? I, I, I've always had the policy that if you're being paid good money by a company, nobody should be editing your emails for you, right? right. It's right. not first grade. But there could be things going on over her head that you don't know that make it appear that what she's doing is claiming credit for your work and micromanaging you, but it's actually coming from a less competitive place. So good luck, Dennis. Let us know how this turns out. Now we have a question from Anxious to Succeed, whose drive to complete a project may be getting a little out of hand. He writes, Back in January, my engineering company got a huge project, and I was assigned to manage it. At the time, I'd only been with the company for six months, so it made me feel good that they trusted me like that. Since then, I've been in constant contact with the customer, going over some preliminary tests, data, criteria, etc. Now it's the moment of truth. The shipments for the projects are arriving, and testing it all is a lot for one person to handle. So, four of my coworkers were assigned to the project to help me out. But my problem is that I still feel the need to oversee everything. Mm -hmm. I've been slowly handing out small assignments that I can keep an eye on and review frequently. I know, I know I'm micromanaging, but I have been so invested in the project that I want everything to go perfectly. So I feel better if I review everything. I'm finding myself working nine to 11 hours a day and weekends, even though my boss says he doesn't want me in the office every weekend. How can I successfully delegate tasks while doing so within my comfort zone? I know that if I don't, I'll be extremely overwhelmed, but I don't want the project to fail and reflect horribly on me. All right, Anxious. You said it's the moment of truth for the project, but really, this is the moment of truth for you. You are not helping anyone, least of all yourself. And now you're actually jeopardizing a major project. So this is the hardest growth step from being an individual contributor to being a team leader. It sure And is. it's really hard. I was wondering if maybe you're Dennis's boss over here, like <laughs> micromanaging. But when your boss says, don't come in on the weekends, that is not about your hours, right? Yeah, boy. That is your boss trying in a subtle way to tell you you have got to delegate the responsibility. If you're working in this way, you shouldn't have to do this. Exactly, right. exactly. So your boss is not talking to you about your hours. Your boss is talking to you about your leadership. 
And this is a giant red flag. So one thing I want to suggest, there's a book out there which might be helpful for you. It's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. Larry, I'm sure you've read so this book. Good. Yeah, and it's how successful people become even more successful. But the, that title, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, that's what I want to say to you, Anxious. Now is the time to make that shift. Yeah, every leadership guru I know says that this transition is one of the hardest ones. And let's break that down for a second. What got you here? Extreme responsibility and accountability and attention to details. As an individual contributor, you wrap your arms around your responsibilities, mm -hmm. you own them like crazy, and you drive them, right? Fantastic. Right up until you're leading other people. And then what are you going to do? Read their emails? Yeah, right. And say, you know, instead of using asterisks here, let's use bullets. I think it's going to be way better. Like, mm -hmm. that's crazy talk micromanagement. And here's the thing. He knows. Yes. He knows it doesn't scale. He knows it doesn't make sense. And he also knows he's scratching the itch of, oh, my God, I want this to go well. Mm -hmm. Good for you. And you need a new tool. Basically, what he's doing is he's trying to hammer a nail with a wrench here. Mm -hmm. Right, The wrench got him where, he's, where he needs to be. Now he's got to pick up and learn a new tool, which is assigning work, being clear about expectations, setting up agreed to check-in times. Hey, let's check in at the end of the day tomorrow. See how that's going. See mm -hmm. what progress you've made. Come to me if you have any questions. And then, yes, he's going to be tingling and yes. shaking with yes. anxiety. Yes. Take a pill. Take a walk. Take the weekend off. Take the, Exactly. Take the weekend <laughs> off. This is about making a shift. It is not doing the same thing, and it is incredibly hard. And if you suffer as you're trying to do this, I hate to tell you, you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. It will be hard, but what's the reinforcing part is you watch people start to succeed around you, and you get to own a piece of that. And I think for most people who really like leading people, that's what fills their heart. Yeah. I get to have a little piece of all of of this and that feels great. But it feels different. It does. It feels different. You're right. Mm -hmm. Liz, now we've got a couple of questions about some of the other sides of competition at work, like the pressure to manage and the burnout that can result. Here's a question from Project Engineer who writes, I'm a mechanical engineer and at my company, it's been made clear to me that if I want a promotion, I'll have to manage people. However, I have zero interest in doing that, so what do I do? As far as I know, it's an industry-wide problem anyway, requiring management from engineers who aren't good at it, nor are they really interested in it. Mm -hmm. I want to advance, but I don't really think management is right for me. What do I do? Oh, this is such a good question. I love it. It's another engineer. It's a, it's a slightly, <laughs> we love our engineers. It's a slightly different situation, but it is still about growth and changing where you get your satisfaction mm -hmm. at work. So mm -hmm. here's what I would say. You might surprise yourself. Yes, management is different. You like engineering. You like having control over a project. But it can be learned. So remember, you don't just have to go throw yourself into these jobs. You can get management training to learn some of the things that you'll need to know and you might find out you enjoy. For instance, the job of management is to communicate the why, not the how. Right now, as an right. engineer, you're doing the how. 
It's very different to think about the why and think about how you communicate that to people. But it can really be fascinating. I found that fascinating. When I made the transition, I wasn't an engineer, but from doing the day-to-day tactic stuff to much more about strategy and motivation, I found that fascinating. You might. The second thing that's very different in management is sort of the messy reality of the whole business. If you're an engineer and you have your own projects and you like the control over that, maybe messy reality does not appeal to you. But I also found that fascinating once I found myself thrown into that level of management at a company. It's a puzzle. It's a different kind of thing to figure out. But it can be super fun. It can. So, again, it could surprise you. And it, I like the puzzle piece, Liz, because it is. It's like this is a different puzzle than I'm used to solving. But if you can get curious about it, yeah, it can be yeah, really it's rewarding. It's not just taking all the things you're currently doing and adding all these things on right. that you don't like doing. Another thing you need to do if you step into management is really care about the things that are outside of your control. Right now, if you're a project engineer, it's all about your control over things. Once you're in management, yeah, you still have your span of control. But then you really do have to engage with the people that have a completely different span of control than you do. And some people find that interesting. You might. I don't know. And then the last thing is to decide whether you're really up for it is not only do you have to do some of the soft stuff, like you said, you really don't want to get involved in people. But, you. Yeah. But you get judged on things like leadership and goal setting and things that are very different. Yep. Now, your gut instinct is you're not interested in any of that. I'm just saying you might be and you should try taking some courses in this area just to test yourself because it might unlock something in you that you don't even know about, but that you will find much more satisfying. Yeah. Or you might find out for sure, yeah, not my deal. But I just, I would put your toe in the water, which means you don't have to take the job, but you could get some training and see you might be more of a natural than you think. At Engage Leadership, literally half of our business is training managers, new managers, or even more experienced managers and helping them add more tools to their belt. And the reality is there are a lot of people in this seat who are like, I don't want to manage people. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm happy to do this work. I did not become a mechanical engineer because I wanted to give people feedback and do performance reviews. Which I totally understand. Totally understand. And yet, the reality in the work world is the rewards accrue to people typically with really hard to get skills. And becoming a mechanical engineer is really hard. Like that takes a lot of skill. But there are literally millions of mechanical engineers. You know how many mechanical engineers who are good at the technical stuff but can also communicate effectively and lead people? There are hundreds of those. And guess what? You master both of those skills, you can write your own ticket. Mm -hmm. It's literally a winning lottery ticket in the workplace. Now, lots of big companies, let me say, set up dual career paths where you can advance and get more money and get more respect by advancing and being purely technical. But that's usually, in my experience, only in really, really big Mm -hmm. firms Mm -hmm. where they can afford to let people kind of do one or the other. Yeah, I really feel for him in this situation because I understand why if you're really good at technical things and you just want to stay in that lane – Most of the time, we would tell people that's what you should do. You should stay in a lane where you have the skills and the desire to be. As long as you're not putting some sort of limit over your 
personal and professional growth by keeping yourself completely out of things that you might actually find satisfying. Yeah. And you know, Liz, when I used to teach managers, one of the most satisfying things I would hear is after going through all of this, this really confirms this is not for me. I want to go do something else. And (laughs) I think, and I, you know what, being a manager is just a job. It's not better than anything else. So great, go be a great craftsman, be a great artisan of whatever it is you do, but recognize in the work world, there are more opportunities and more rewards if you choose to take on multiple job skills at the same time. But yes, they are quite they are quite different. Mm-hmm. Quite different. So I would experiment a little bit yeah. if you can. Get a taste of it. Get some training, and then make the decision that you think is right for you. Yeah, give it a shot, man. You you may you may surprise yourself. All right, and here's our final question for the day. It's from anonymously stuck who's burnt out by the constant competition at his office. He writes, I've worked for a very large telecommunications company for the last 21 years. I'm 41 years old now. There are constant threats of layoffs here, and we're told we will be left behind if we do not pivot our skills to ever-changing technologies. To be clear, I've been a very dedicated employee my entire career, and I'm often ranked at the top when annual reviews and bonuses are handed out. I enjoy being great at what I do, but that is enough for me. I feel like I have to hide the fact that I have no desire to go further in my career. I even had a boss tell me to keep that on the low. (laughs) What is wrong with being okay with where you are now? I want work-life balance, and I feel like I cannot have that if I'm always competing at work to stay on top. With all of the pressure now, I regularly fantasize about quitting and going on a vagabond experience and travel the world. Meanwhile, my peers are furthering their education and feverishly competing with one another. I have zero desire, and it's probably apparent to upper management. Maybe I'm going through a midlife crisis? Is this normal? How can I jumpstart my heart to focus on work again? Are there any books or blogs you can recommend for this situation? Anonymous, this is very common, and it's very common about this time. You've been working for two decades. You got into whatever you were doing for particular reasons, for particular motivations, and after a couple of decades, it's not surprising that it gets a little stale. Yeah. Right? And you have to look for, and I like the way you said it, like a new way to kind of light the fire in my heart and find out what I care about. That is midlife crisis, where you really look at why am I doing what I'm doing? What am I liking about it? And do I want to shift? So A, normal. B, you are taking an enormous risk here. Um, by communicating lack of interest? Yeah. Yeah. And, and by settling for it. You're, you're inherently taking a risk, which is, I mean, are you watching the news? People are losing their jobs to machines mm-hmm. all the time. Jobs are getting outsourced all over the world, right? Even China's barely cheap enough these days. And so the question is, what are you doing to be able to continue to be able to work for, which I'm guessing, another two decades, mm-hmm. probably for most of us, especially, and this is the hard part. You're falling behind in comparison if you choose not to invest in learning some new things if everybody else around you is. So I guess my piece of advice could be summed up as I would make this a both and choice and not an either or. What does that mean? So both and is you can enjoy your life. You can find new ways to work. Heck, you could take two or three months off and go rejuvenate and look at the world a little bit and then come back in with a focus on here's what I want to do and really invest in that. It's very dangerous to just say, 
well, this is all I want to do and that should be good enough these days, I think that's a very, very scary proposition. Yeah, Stuck, I'd say this. Uh, your question, what is wrong with being okay where you are now? Well, what's wrong is that where you are now won't exist in another couple of years. So you, nobody can stay in the same place, nope. especially in the telecommunications business. Wow. But this is not a midlife crisis. This is just normal behavior. And maybe you just need a course correction. I did when I was your age. I actually went in and I quit my job on my 40th birthday, not because I hated my job, but I just really wanted something different. And mm -hmm. I said at the time, I know I've mentioned this on the show before, it wasn't that it wasn't about work-life balance or just work. It was I just wanted a different kind of work. So I traded in a big corporate job for a smaller, more personal, more creative job that was, you know, something that was where my heart was now. So your values and what you cared about shifted. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Larry. Yes, exactly. My value shifted and it turned out to be hugely satisfying. Now, everyone's in their own position and you have to think about what you can afford to do, how risky that is. But I'm with Larry. You're in a super risky situation right now if you're in a constantly changing business and you don't want to change. So another thing I would do, Larry just mentioned it, just Google the term gap year for grownups. You would be amazed what people are doing now. And maybe it's not a whole year. Maybe it is just a few months. Yeah. But the idea that you could take time away from your job, it might either bring you back to your job with a newfound sense of dedication, or it would help you clarify in your own head what your new direction is going to be. Because you do have another 20 or 30 years of work ahead of you. Yeah. So coasting is not an option. One last thing I'll say, when you say, how do I jumpstart my heart? I, I liked that too. Love it. So here are a few ways to think about doing that. One is like you get really bored with what you're doing. Number one, think about who's benefiting from what you're doing. If you can think more about the end user of whatever you're doing, sometimes we lose sight of that. And we're just grinding away in our little job, in our little department, and we forget, like, I am allowing people all over the world to talk to each other or whatever it is. Thinking about who you're serving, even in your current job, I've always found motivating. The next is think about the overarching goal of your company. Is your company, especially telecommunications, might be in service of, might have a really big vision for what they're yeah, trying purpose. to do. Yeah. You know, you get bored with that. You've been there a bunch of time. Maybe you can plug back into that. The idea that there's some world-changing technology that is coming out of your organization. You know, I read a story once about uh, NASA and JFK when he was president, was touring NASA. And he bumped into a janitor, and he asked the janitor, what do you do here? And the guy said, I'm putting a man on the moon. And that is the idea of, like, everyone bought into an overarching goal. Now, maybe, you're, maybe your company's not putting a man on the moon, but they're doing something. And <laughs> maybe you can get some emotional satisfaction from that. And then if both of those two things fail, the last thing is focus on what your work allows you to do in the rest of your life. Sometimes a job is just a J-O-B, but the money you make there allows you to have the life with your friends and family and do the things you want to do, and that can be enough. You, you know, you have a super exciting world outside of your job, so don't put so much pressure on your job that your job has to give you all of those things. So there's a way to find more heart in your current job. 
but it might also be time for you to step away for short term or permanently just because your goals in life have changed. The one thing you can't do is stay the same. No, you sure can't. If you missed anything from today's show, don't forget that you can just tap the cover art to get all the notes for the episode. You'll also find our phone number and some great offers from our sponsors. To check those out and support our show, you can go to casper.com, blueapron.com, ziprecruiter.com, and audible.com. Larry? Slash boss. (laughs) Yes, it's always the slash boss. This episode was hosted by me, Larry Seal, CEO and founder of Engage Leadership, and Liz Dolan, boss emeritus and satellite sister. The original theme song was composed by Martin Blanco. Audio engineering by Misha Stanton. Special consultant, Julia Smith. Produced by Cameron Kell. Executive producer, Jeffrey Glazer. Created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy. But you don't have to. 